Welcome to the Husker CuzCast Sports Show. This is Justin, along with my cousins Derek and Tyler. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, September 19th. For the second time in three years, Nebraska is starting the season with a 1-2 and record after an embarrassing 21-17 loss to Northern Illinois. And to help us to break down this disaster, we have a special guest, editor of HuskerHype.com, John Sweetland. Welcome, John. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. All right, John, since you're the special guest here, you get to go first. What are your thoughts on this Northern Illinois game? Oh, man, what a, what a tough day for Husker Nation. Um, I mean, they're looking to rebound after a close game to Oregon where the defense finally got on track in the second half, and uh, it, it was just never right from the start. Uh, through those, uh, those two pick sixes early in the game, and that really set the tone for the offense the rest of the day. Uh, Tanner Lee continued to kind of push the ball downfield a little bit, missed some wide-open guys, and the offensive line really struggled to block uh, just about anyone. The lone bright spot for me, um, other than uh, Caleb Lightborn at the punter position, uh, was the defense as a whole. Uh, I mean, they stood, uh, they stood tall, held NIU to uh, seven points, uh, which I think is more than you can ask for them, you know, going into the, the third game of a brand-new defense. So, uh, tough loss. Um, looking to rebound against an underwhelming Rutgers this week, and uh, hopefully they can pull that out. Derek, what what did you think of this game? You know, there was there was a point in the game where they went to the sideline reporter Holly Saunders, and her comment was, "We're down fourteen to nothing." And it was towards the end of this first half, and her comment was, "There is no sense of urgency on this sideline." And I knew right then that bad things were ahead of us. It just how, how do you come into a game after that terrible loss to Oregon where, you know, all according to everything you told the media, you were so pissed off that you lost the way you did and you couldn't come back and win it and you came so close, but you were so mad. And you get down 14 to nothing and you're just playing patty cake on the sidelines. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> I think just to jump into that, though, that's part of Mike Riley's MO. I mean, if you remember being down in the Miami game a few years ago, um, they were calm, cool, collected. They kept their composure. It's kind of the same way as the Oregon game. It does surprise me um, that there wasn't a little fire under their under their bellies to come out and uh, kind of push Northern Illinois around and, and put it really put it on the ground and grind it out uh, like teams of old have done just to wear down some of those lesser opponents, get the offense and defense in a rhythm. So I, I know that stands out to a lot of Husker Nation in terms of like their attitudes. But I also think it's a trait of Mike Riley's teams, and it's almost a strength uh, to their credit. Didn't pan out this time, and maybe it didn't pan out a few other times, but I, I'm kind of mixed on that one. But I feel you. I've, I've got the same feedback as well. John, let me ask you that. Why, why do you think that that's a uh, positive? You know, there's a lot of different things. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a positive because if you don't lose your composure, there's nothing to lose. Um, you, in an NFL system, it's all about how you rebound. So, you know, you see a guy like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they'll take an eight-yard sack intentionally. They'll get up. They don't show any emotion that that just happened. They come out and they execute the next play. I don't know that Mike Riley's team is to that point yet. I don't know that they're going to get to that point. But to me, it, it's a sign of not panicking and not kind of, you know, running off the rails. Okay, Derek. Well, my argument to, be, to you on that would be uh, some position groups, that's great especially like a quarterback. You're, you're absolutely right, especially when it comes to quarterback. But an offensive line, I'm not going to bring up the defensive line because I think they had a pretty good game. But, like, the offensive line should have been, like, fire in your belly, pissed off, I want to hit somebody. And that sense of urgency should have been there with them, at least, I would think. Like, 
I mean, you know what I mean? I mean yeah. You don't, you don't want to see your quarterback getting all frazzled. I get that, but. I get it, too. I think really what rubs me the wrong way is when you looked at uh, Tanner Lee on the sidelines when they showed him the few times that they did, he really looked dejected. I would have liked to have seen anger um, out of him and, you know, a sense of, hey, let's come, let's get together, let's do this, because that's what you see good quarterbacks do. They walk over the offensive line, they call out what was wrong, they get it fixed, and on the next drive they come back and they go down the field. And that's why I said I don't feel like they're there to that point yet where they can maintain that kind of cool head composure and go out and uh, get around to the next drive. All right, let's get Tyler in here. Tyler, what so, are your thoughts? You, you know, I, you, you brought up a great point, John. You look back at the Super Bowl with the Patriots. I mean, they're down 28 to three against my Atlanta Falcons. And sure enough, they kept their head in the ball game, got momentum. And, and this is a game to me that was completely defined by momentum. When we threw that pick six, I, I believe we gave Northern Illinois all the confidence in the world that they could win that game. And I don't know if we lost confidence at that point or if we just had so much confidence that the sense of urgency that we need to make a play wasn't there. Um, but you guys talk about the offensive line. That, that was a, an abysmal performance. And the week of that game, they had went out to dinner or to a barbecue, and Tanner Lee was there in this relationship. And you know, and not, not to go back to the high school glory days of football, but I was an offensive lineman and every offensive lineman, they care about their quarterback and Tanner Lee got whooped and there was no change. There was nothing. And, and it wasn't just one lineman. It was the whole lineman, uh, Gerald Foster, Nick Gates, two of our leaders. Those were two of the bigger offenders, especially in run blocking. I mean, there was no physicality. We got out physical by Northern Illinois. Um, now the defense took a great stride that game and, you know, I think if our defense can continue to improve that way, the season's not done. We we can rebound. If our defense is that solid and we made those strides, we, we can rebound. I, I think the offense, there's enough talent there that they can be serviceable. But that offensive line, they've got to improve and they got to show it this week. Sure. I think to that point, too, I mean, when you talk about momentum, when that first pick six happened, Northern Illinois, they've got a great secondary. I think they're ranked like 33rd in the country. And when he jumped that route, I don't know if we just hadn't woken up yet, if it was too early or what, but that swagger that they came out and then displayed on the next two or three drives, we never matched. At Oregon, after the pick six, you know, what did we do? We turned around, we drove down the field, we scored points. You didn't see that same level of competency that you did in week two, you know, to week three. And to your point, Gerald Foster had probably one of the worst games of his Husker career, completely whiffed on a, a screen. He only had one guy to block, and he didn't block him, and it resulted in a negative play. Um, it was bad all around for the offensive line. The, 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 I'm sorry. The stat of the game to me was uh, Mikel Wilbon had 24 carries. 17 of them he got hit before he passed the line of scrimmage. I, I mean, that that. how do you win? All the Husker fans that say, let's run the ball, it – Riley could have called run plays all day. We average almost, if you take out the big run on a one first down, we averaged 1.8 yards on first down. We couldn't run the ball. It, that, that was an offensive line blow up if I've ever seen one. I think to that same point too, from an, sorry, Justin, from that, from that same point, I'd really like to see a change at center. I've not been impressed by Cole Conrad. He seems to get pushed around a lot up front. Uh, Michael Decker for the few snaps he's been in really seems to control his guy. I think that's what's missing from the interior of the offensive line to get that run game going right now. So I'd like to see that happen uh, here over the next couple of games. I'm just trying to squeeze Derek in here. Go <laughs> ahead, right. Derek. No, we're all right. 
So okay, okay I, I get the I get the the offensive line was terrible, and especially in run block. And Tyler, you're absolutely right on that. And that you can't have your running back getting hit at the line of scrimmage seventy percent of plays. You just can't have that. But as far as passing block, pass blocking went, Tanner Lee got hit way too many times. I was I was listening to Big Red Overreaction, and Damon Benning mentioned something about there were seven quarterback hurries in that game. And that seemed very low to me because I thought he was pressured a lot more than that. So I rewatched the game today, and I counted eight quarterback hurries, and he was hit on seven of them. Of course, you have your three sacks. So that's 50 pass plays he had if you count the three sacks. And he was hurried eight of those. Now he completed, I think, what, 25 of them? If that is, if I think that's right. And so what happened with the other ones? I mean, he overthrew receivers. Receivers were dropping balls. There's so much blame to go around on this offense that I think it's hard to blame it strictly on the offensive line. Yeah. Tyler. Yeah. John, Derek, I think you're right on that. I think Tanner Lee does earn blame and I think he's getting his share of the blame in the publicity and the fan base. But John, I got a question for you. You had brought up uh, Cole Conrad at center and, and this week there were talks early. Uh, Mike Riley had preference maybe moving him the right tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Mike Riley. And, and Kavanaugh shot that down really quickly. Why do you think there's such an apprehension of moving him from that center position? You know, I, I personally believe that Cole Conrad won the job because he can make the right calls. And you're looking at an experience differential between him and Michael Decker at this point. I mean, if we're going to drop back and throw the ball, geez, 47 times um, against NIU, you've got to be able to to complete those passes, give Tanner Lee the time that he needs to throw the ball. But as far as the, the, the position goes, I don't know when Matt Farniak got hurt. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't want to move uh, Cole Conrad, who has experience at right tackle. You know, he was really the jack of all trades last season to really put the best five that are healthy now moving forward on the field. Um, Farniak, when he got the one-on-one coverages, uh, against the, uh, the Huskies defense, he just couldn't handle the small undersized speed rushers. I mean, that's what three of the, the big hits on Tanner Lee all came from that right tackle position. So it'll be interesting to see how they move forward this week. Mike Riley stated that, you know, the, the plan isn't cha- to change the center. It's to start, uh, either Christian Gaylord or, uh, Brenda Jameis over at the right tackle position. Jameis is a true freshman, um, considered the backup at the left tackle position. Um, supposedly very athletic and technically sound. So if he can lock down that right side for at least this season before maybe uh, giving Nick Gates a run for his money, that'd be that'd be something to see. Hey, John, I have a quick question for you on, on this offense too. Is there any way to fix these third down conversions? Like I was looking <laughs> at it, and, you know, a lot of these third downs weren't bad. We had a lot of third and twos and third and threes that we couldn't convert. Is there, <clears throat> do they need, is there some way to fix this, or is this just – Something we're going to look forward to for this year is just bad third-down conversions. So what you're telling me is you'd prefer to be better at third-down conversions than fourth-down conversions, right? <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> I, I would prefer to be as good on uh, third-down as we are on fourth-down. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it comes back to the, uh, to the blocking scheme that they've employed. Um, if you watch the pros, uh, you know, a good game to reference recently would have been the Detroit Lions game on Monday Night Football this week. If you look at that pro-style blocking, a lot of those runs are kind of those delay runs where they let the defensive ends kind of crash back around to open up the sides, and I just don't think that is the right maneuver. I liked the pin and pull that they ran the first two games 
Um, they seem to go away from that against Northern Illinois for some reason. Uh, I don't know if that was the struggles, you know, that Foster and, and Conrad were having handling their men, but I'd like to see them against Rutgers really get back to that. They need to establish the line of scrimmage moving forward. Uh, if Nebraska is going to have any shot to, uh, you know, win a, a sizable majority of the games left on the schedule. So I, I just don't know if it's the, the blocking scheme or if they change schemes for the pin and pull this week. Um, but you're right. It's got to get better. Um, those guys have got to come out and, uh, you know, control the line of scrimmage, especially on, if you think about that, uh, that QB sneak over the middle for the touchdown that Tanner Lee left across and scored, that was not blocked. Well, um, you have the advantage of the snap count. You should always be firing off the ball first and have leverage in those plays. And it just doesn't seem to be happening. So I don't know what the fix is. Um, hopefully they can figure it out over the next couple of weeks. John, I want to ask you about Tanner Lee. Uh, the media has built these high expectations out of uh, Tanner Lee. You know, all, all the fan base uh, is just really high on Tanner Lee. So far, it's kind of been a letdown. I want to ask you, what was the media seeing in practices that built these high expectations? Well, they're seeing composure. They're seeing the, you know, the size, the arm strength. He, he really, if you go back to the spring game and, and watch what everyone saw, I mean, he also had a lot of time to throw in the spring game. Um, compared to what you see a little bit more in uh, in real games here, there's a sense of urgency from a defensive standpoint, you know, to knock the the timing off. So, but I mean, it's the throws. He's fitting balls into windows that you know we haven't seen from quarterbacks the past. Um, he's making those those long throws down the field. He's hit, you know, geez, Demorne Pearsonel uh, for a big gain. He's hit Stanley Morgan for two or three, you know, 40 plus yard gains. Balls that are you know right right where their hands are, kind of meet the chest area. But he's also pushed a few balls. So. I don't know if, if he's kind of reverting back to his uh, his game time um, decision making that he had while he was at Tulane when you know they really struggled with their offensive line. But it's it's rough uh, in practices. You know he'll come out, he'll look good, he'll control the offense um, just like he did against Oregon in the second drive where they marched down the field with quick, efficient throws and then pull one over the top that's well placed. Um, I just don't know that the consistency that Danny Langsdorf hypes on as an offensive coordinator is there yet. Um, if the offensive line struggles continue, I, I know this will set Twitter off, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think you need to take a look at Patrick O'Brien. Um, he rushed for over 800 yards his, his junior and senior season uh, in high school. So he's not that he's blazing fast like Tommy Armstrong or Taylor Martinez of old, but he's got enough legs to kind of move the pocket uh, and maybe you know run up the side if, if there's those openings that we all saw uh, a few times against uh, Northern Illinois. So Again, it's his arm. Uh, it's it's his accuracy. Um, you know, some of those interceptions aren't on him; they're on wide receivers. But at the same time, um, we'll see if if it can get better. I mean, that's where it needs to go. You're exactly right. I think uh, Derek and I we were having this conversation. I'll let Derek take it from here. But I don't think there's any harm whatsoever letting Patrick O'Brien take a uh, series or two. You know, when absolutely when he's, when he's sitting there, uh, Derek, go for that. So while I was rewatching the game today, I what what I was trying to focus on was how much pressure was on Lee. And you know, there were times that, that he had five, six seconds to throw the ball. But he's such a statue back there. And Riley made the big comment, and it drove me insane when he said it was that, you know, putting a different quarterback in isn't gonna fix the protection problems. But if you have a quarterback that can I don't know, get out of the pressure just a little bit, I understand he's not a blazer on with his feet, but if you can just get out of the out of the pressure just a little bit and step into the pocket or get out of the pocket if you have to, and and then have time to make a throw, 
doesn't that help the protection problem, you know? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not a coach. I don't pretend to be, but it seems to me like that was a fairly decent way to try, at least. Tyler. You, you know, Mike Tyson has a quote that everyone has a fight plan until they get punched in the face, and I think that's Tanner Lee's problem. I think, you know, the guy, I, I see the tools. I see the raw tools with him, and I think he gets that pressure on him. You know, he gets in the pressure where he's down in a game and something happens. And then, you know, John, you said it. He starts pushing for throws downfield. He gets happy feet. He starts targeting Stanley Morgan a little bit more than he should instead of looking at his second or third option, which is something that Langsdorf and a lot of the media, um, you know, praised him on that he was good at making that second to third read. And and I, I think that's his problem right now. He He's, I, I don't know if his confidence is shattered and I don't know where he's at, but I just think that, he keeps getting punched in the face, whether it be these interceptions or actually getting hit. I, I just think that it throws his game off. I think that's a f- no. Go ahead. No, no. Go, go ahead, John. I was gonna say I think that's a fair point. I mean, you saw in the Oregon, Oregon game, Tyler Hoppus was wide open in the end zone. He overthrew him. Uh, he overthrew Jake Ketter uh, this weekend in the end zone too. Uh, there was the uh, the corner and safety blitz in the Oregon game where he threw that that touchdown to Stanley Morgan. And that was over. Stanley Morgan had to go up with one hand to bring that in. So I definitely think there's something off. I don't know if it's timing. I don't know if it's just he's pressing the ball or what it is. Do you guys think it's demoralizing to uh, Patrick O'Brien seeing Tanner Lee struggles as much as he has and for not to get a sniff of the game? I mean, I would. I mean, I, so. I, you saw him on the sideline there for sitting next to Tanner Lee there for a little bit, and he's biting his lip. And the whole time I was sitting there thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Get me in the game, coach. I can do better. I promise. But, it, you know, everybody thinks they can do better in a game. And everybody's favorite quarterback is a second-string quarterback when the first-string sure. guy is hurting. So, uh, John, do you have any final thoughts on the Northern Illinois game and what we saw there? No, just uh, just happy the Caleb Lightborn has shown out this year. He's been consistent, and he uh, he's done a good job of pinning uh, the opponents pretty pretty deep. So, hopefully, yeah. we can we can see that continue the rest of the season and not regress. That's just who, who would have thought player. the best. Who, yeah, who who would have thought this year that the strength of our punt game would be our punting, not our punt return. I don't want to talk about our punt return blocking because that's that's a whole other podcast at this point. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Drew Brown came out and he said that you know the the missed field goal him go, on him going into halftime he kicked it too low. It's a hundred percent on him. It wasn't blocking or anything else. So it's interesting to see that you know kind of one of those automatic kicks that you take for granted. Um, so hopefully you know moving forward from a consistency standpoint. Um, you know, we don't have to, to worry about that stuff. And, you know, it's funny. This is my last thought on NIU. When we looked at the, uh, the first game, the, the big knock on the Huskers was defense, right? Uh, the defense didn't do too well. And then, you know, the offense came out and performed, you know, 280 plus yards of passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, hundred yard rusher. It was a clean game. Um, you know, geez, take away the, you know, the, a couple of the picks in the Oregon game and, the offense really wasn't that bad. You know, they were put in a bad spot um, in the first half where they had to rebound and, and really race to get points. So um, hopefully, you know, Northern Illinois, I don't know if it's just an aberration or what, um, but they've got to fix the, you know, the right side of the offensive line without always having to, to slide a tight end over there. 
I'd like to see Danny Langsdorf focus on some of those quick passes, you know, slants, three yard outs, see if they can't gain some, some rhythm and timing kind of moving forward here to reestablish uh, Tanner Lee over the next couple of weeks, because that's what they're going to need if, if they want to move past Northern Illinois uh, and, and get to those, those loftier expectations all the fans had this season. John, you're, you are a recruiting guy. And uh, we had several recruiting visits, uh, visitors this past week. What have you heard were some of their reactions to this game? You know, I love recruiting. Uh, I'll say that first and foremost. I think it's an interesting monster. Um, I remember 10 years ago, 15 years ago, playing NCAA football and kind of being able to look out and forecast, you know, hey, I'm going to need this many of this position uh, to make my team successful over the next two, three years. So that's really my forte. Uh, the great thing about Nebraska, you guys all know this, uh, every fan out there knows that there's no place like Nebraska, the atmosphere, uh, the people, uh, the attention to football. It's the only major sport in the state, um, that carries much relevancy, um, compared to everything else. So Nebraska always shows out well, um, Brian Addison out of California, uh, Kobe Smith out of California, David Alston out of, I believe it's Minnesota. Um, and uh, Will Putnam is the big offensive tackle from 2019 that was here as well. They all enjoyed their visit. Uh, they all said they had a good time. Brian Addison went as so far to say that he could see himself in the defense, you know, where they needed those playmakers to help take it to the next level. Um, so I think that bodes well. I'm really intrigued. I hate to fanboy out ever over a recruit, but I really love Kobe Smith. I think he's one of the best possession wide receivers on the West Coast. Um, he's got terrific hands. He's performed well all throughout seven-on-sevens. Uh, most of the year he's been regarded as a three-star, uh, but he's also looking like he's gotten that fourth star from a composite ranking on 24-7. Um, I think he fits the mold of, of the next Stanley Morgan. Um, you've also got David Alston out of Minnesota. He had a great visit. Uh, I think a win might have pushed that visit over the top. Um, I think the, the, the boos at halftime specifically, I think they're for the referees. Uh, but I think that, you know, that's in the back of everyone's mind, but it really doesn't make a huge difference at the end of the day um, because of, you know, re recruiting is more about relationships. It's not about one game. Every football player has been there. They've all struggled for a season. They've all had wins and losses they wish they could take back. Um, so I, I don't see it being a big deal um, with the outcome of the game coming the way it is. But they've all reportedly enjoyed their visits and had a good time. So um, those relationships should continue to grow over the next couple months. So how much harder is it to recruit after a loss to a team like Northern Illinois? Or does it, that even hurt? I don't, you know, I don't think it hurts that much. Um, I, I haven't heard anything. I've talked to several recruits. Um, I don't want to name names, but they all, the first thing they all mention is the relationship with the coach. It's the first thing. It's the most important thing. Um, you're going to have losses wherever you play. Uh, the NFL is a good example. I mean, you could go on and win the Super Bowl, and you're still going to have three or four losses a year sometimes. So um, I just don't think it plays into that big of a thing. Um, this is a really young team, um, so there's a lot of opportunities for people to come in and make a difference and, and kind of jump into that, that roster. So I think those selling points are really huge for the Huskers, and I think they've been well-received uh, in 2017 and 2018 now. And um, if you're an offensive lineman, it's a good time to look at Nebraska for 2018, 2019. Yes, it is. Tyler, you had something to say? You, you know, John, I completely agree with you on the relationships. And I think that's one of the things that Nebraska coaches have done a great job with is developing these relationships. That's why guys like Micah Parsons are still looking at the school. 
Um, but when you talk about the Northern Illinois game, Justin, you know, I look back at Penn State last year and the rough start that they had, and then they gained momentum and they finished strong and the recruits came in and bold. So I, I think it's not so much how you start a season, it's how you finish. Oh, when so you're kids, thinking we're going to have a Penn State type of year. I, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I do. I think there, there's a lot to be said. If, if the coaches find stability and they can win a couple big games, you know, I, I think you look forward to recruiting this weekend. You know, we have um, Christian Tut coming in. John, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's coming to town. And then you have Gabriel Union and Dwayne Wade are two of our top recruiters uh, going to be in Lincoln <laughs> this weekend. And, you know, you look at that and, and, and you see the possibilities of the Wisconsin game with supposedly Micah Parsons coming. I mean, if we could pull off some big games and change a little momentum, I mean, I could still see this recruiting class be really special. Just to jump in and, and kind of add on to that, I mean, it's it, – it's exactly what Tyler said. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's how you react. So I think what's more important than the loss itself is when you got to the locker room at halftime and those recruits are around, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel? Um, I know from my sources um, that they, they weren't dejected at halftime. They weren't dejected after the game. Certainly players are going to be disappointed that they lost, uh, but they know it's a, it's a get back to it. You, you can't dwell on it. I think uh, Jordan Westerkamp always called it the 24-hour rule. You give yourself 24 hours, and then once it's done, it's over. So as long as they can focus on that and move forward here, um, they're going to be just fine in the recruiting standpoint. They've got Christian Tutt. Uh, they've got uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles out of IMG um, as one of their biggest guys. Micah Parsons is is very deep in a relationship with Nebraska as well. That's The, that, the Huskers sit surprisingly well for them. There's a lot of beef coming out of the Ohio State game with Micah Parsons um, over the last week and a half with Kirk Herbstreet and other guys. So I think Nebraska sits better than most people realize. I know there's stories and, uh, and mentions from other recruits that there's you know anywhere from three to six silent recruits um, that are committed to Nebraska. So I, I think the future is bright. But I think for me as, as a fan, I think they've really got to get back in the trenches. I know Coach Kavanaugh has taken a lot of heat. Um, especially for the Northern Illinois game and the loss here, but they've got to find some difference makers because everyone knows that it starts and finishes with the offensive and defensive lines. I think the defensive line has got a bright future. Uh, Khalil Davis this weekend against Northern Illinois really showed up, uh, knocked, knocked one down, had a sack, had another pressure. Uh, he was kind of all over the place, and, and Carlos Davis was in there with him. Mick Stoltenberg doesn't get enough credit in the middle of the field either. Um, he does a good job controlling that stuff. So, that stuff is really apparent to the recruits that are out there. They see how those guys play. They understand the relationships. Um, I, I think as long as the, the Huskers can hold on for an eight-win season at this point, um, I don't think there's anything to worry about. And it's all going to come down to that Wisconsin game. I mean, win, lose, or draw before that, after that. I mean, that's where the, the recruiting class has kind of got all of its chips stacked at this point. Uh, you've got Brandon ridley Hiles set to be there, Micah Parsons, and a whole host of other guys that are top-rated recruits all coming in for the same game, which is going to be a tough game uh, against Wisconsin. So they've got to uh, they've got to narrow all that down, figure out what they're going to do, and hopefully come out of that game with a win if they want to come out. I think with with a top 15 class this year. John, you're talking about coaches in the hot seat there with uh, <laughs> Mike Cavanaugh, Mike Riley. You know, there's a lot of fans that were s- screaming for his head after that game. How hot has his seat really become? 
Mike Riley or Coach Cavs? <laughs> well, you, hey, you know what? Take both. <laughs> you know, I haven't done this job long uh, as what you'd probably call a recruiting analyst and reporter. And uh, what I've realized is you kind of take a step back when you when you measure things. Um, I don't think there's any deserved heat on Mike Riley at this point. Um, we're two years and three games into his tenure here. Um, there's certainly some pressure. Um, he's shown that he's not afraid to make changes. He can Mark Baker, who, while we didn't like it, still had a pretty top-rated defense the last couple of years. I think he averaged out at 33rd in the country, which isn't amazing, but at the same time, it's not terrible either. Um, so he's shown the propensity to change. He wants to get better and have national championship caliber staffs. I think he's going to have to take a, a hard look during this season at Coach Cavs' position. Um, he missed out on a couple key recruits last year, Foster Sorrell. Uh, being one of those guys, the five-star f- offensive tackle that uh, that went to uh, Stanford and a few other guys. So um, he's done a good job. Brendan Jameis, um, probably the most unheralded three-star you'll find in the 2017 class. I think he had 28-plus offers um, for Power 5 division schools. So um, he was a huge steal for Coach Cav and a few of the other guys. But he's got his work cut out. I mean, we've all seen the offensive woes so far. He's got inroads with uh, a guy named Cade Perez-Ford. Um, out on the West Coast. Um, it's only his, I think, second year as an offensive tackle. He's got Badara Traore out at ASA College in New York, um, who's interested in Nebraska, but hasn't talked about him a ton. And then he's got a few guys down in the uh, the state of Florida that he's looked at as well. But we don't seem to have a lot of uh, big-name guys in terms of recruiting in the, the 2018 class that I think we need. Um, there's, there's some nice players, Matt Farniak, um, his, his brother, Will Farniak is probably one of the, the, the best linemen in the, uh, the Dakotas at this point, he's a little undersized, but technically he's very sound. Um, I think he's pushing around 268 pounds right now as a center and he'll play center for Nebraska. So, um, as long as he can hold that position down, I mean, that's a few years away. Um, but recruiting looks pretty good. It's just, it's gotta be better for a guy like coach Kavanaugh. Um, I disagree again with Riley being on the hot seat. It blows my mind that you have fans and, and, and maybe some, some famous former players calling for Coach Riley's head this early on. Um, I got a tweet the other day that said, if we don't play POB, um, it's Riley's job and he knows it or he shouldn't know it. And uh, I think it's very interesting to see takes like that. Um, the roster is pretty devoid of talent when Mike Riley got here, not from a starter's perspective, but from the, the two and three deep perspective. So he's got his work cut out. Uh, they've had some misses in the recruiting standpoint the last couple of years. They missed on, uh, I think it was Desmond Fitzpatrick, who went to Louisville. Yep. Um, Jameer Calvin flipped. I think he flipped four or five times, so I don't too, put <laughs> too much into that. Uh, but he ended out up at, uh, I think, Washington State. They missed out on uh, a few guys in California as well. Um, I'm going to forget their names now. But they were both big-time players. Greg Johnson, and uh, I apologize if you ever listen to this. I forget the other guy. Uh, but they were big key recruits. Nebraska sat really in the top one or two, and it just came to uh, came down to staying closer to home. So Nebraska still has to overcome those challenges. They've got to get that depth built back up, um, and they've got to do it soon. I just want to add, I think part of the fan frustration right now is that here we are in year three of the Mike Riley experiment, and we're losing to teams like Northern Illinois at home. And I can see how p- – why people are frustrated that when you look at Purdue and Jeff Brom is doing an excellent job at Purdue in his first year. And this was a team, you know, that how they went through two head coaches last year with Daryl Hazel. And I forget the guy that replaced him, but 
Purdue, they look like a serious contender right now. And I, I, I get the frustration. It, it, and it is frustrating. I know Derek has something to say about that. Well, I'll tell you when it comes to Mike Riley, it's not unicorn shit and rainbows here. <laughs> Look, this this guy, he, I, I haven't always been a big Mike Riley fan. And I've made that fairly abundantly clear, especially between the two cousins here. They, they know how I feel about him. And I try to keep it pretty low key on the podcast. Uh, you know, you, fi- you, you hire a 500 coach, you tend to get a 500 team. And that's always been my thought. And right now, it seems to be holding true. And I hate that. And I don't know that, financially speaking for the university, that fire Mike Riley is responsible. But at the same time, Nebraska football is what brings in most of the money. And if you keep losing games like Northern Illinois, and you start seeing fans back off and start losing, like, I don't know, like the sellout streak. I course your job starts looking really hard to keep and Riley, your job looks really hard to keep. And, and right now what they showed me in that Northern Illinois game doesn't prove to me that they're going to win a lot of games this year. It is very concerning. Tyler, you, you know, I, Mike Riley, I mean, that, that loss was a really bad loss. Um, I went to college in Nebraska during the Callahan era I, I've seen some bad football, and, and I, I believe Mike Riley is a better coach than Bill Callahan. Um, it, it absolutely makes me sick and frustrated that Husker Nation talks about firing him midseason in his third year. Now, I, I, it embarrasses me. It, it's, it's, it's one of the things. It, just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't help with recruiting. It doesn't help the team morale. It doesn't help us have our greatest fan base. You know, with that said, I mean, a lot is on Mike Riley's shoulders. I, I don't think it, Mike Riley's truly on the hot seat yet. But what I do believe is, is if Northern Illinois is an indication of where this team is and where it's going, at the end of the year, then yes, the guy's going to be on the hot seat or out of a job. I mean, if we end up playing 500 ball or miss a bowl game, God forbid, I mean, the guy's going to have a hard time justifying keeping a job if he misses a bowl two time, two years. But James Franklin was in the same position as Mike Riley was, same record at this many games, and he turned it around. I don't know if Mike Riley's that coach. I don't know, but you know, at this point, I, I think it's ridiculous that fans are calling for his job already. John, I it's it's bewildering to me. Just and for the for the record, I think we have a Penn State fan on the on the Cobcast here <laughs> or the Cuzcast because <laughs> that's the second time I've heard James Franklin. But I agree with I you. Wanna I want mean, to be Penn State right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I agree with Derek to a certain standpoint. I mean, I don't know that Mike Riley is a 500 coach. I don't think he ever got the support at Oregon State that he deserved or that he really needed. I think he stayed out, of, you know, for complacency reason. He knew what he had. He liked what he had. And there wasn't much pressure to get much better um, like there is at Nebraska. I mean, he started six and seven his first year at Nebraska how many of those wins were close losses? He turns it around in year two, it's nine and four. Um, and here we are in, in year three at one and two. So not a great track record to start, but at the same time, um, you know, it's a solid foundation in my opinion. And you have to remember, we're com- completely changing the system that we operated out of offensively. I'm not a big Tommy Armstrong fan. I've kept that to myself for a long time. As a quarterback, I didn't think he was great. 
But what he really did well was he bought extra time for the offense. And I think that's what he's really did in 2015 and 2016 for Nebraska. His ability to scramble, while his passing ability wasn't that great, um, I think he made up for it. And I think we might be seeing some of those deficiencies from an offensive line standpoint now. Uh, it, it, now that we have a really a, what was it, a, st- a statuesque quarterback. So um, I'd, that's why I'd like to see guys like P.O.B. and Tristan Jebbia maybe get a shot this year. I don't know if that's the answer. Um, but if the offensive line woes continue, you know, you know, you've at least got someone who could scramble for those yards. Um, I think Riley's a good guy. Um, Callahan, for all of his deficiencies, you know, he just didn't really get Nebraska as a whole from a culture standpoint, but he got it from a system standpoint. Um, hard-headed like other coaches. I don't think you see that in Riley. You know, he's canned several players and several staff. Bruce Reed um, from special teams. He's hired Billy Devaney um, to oversee some of the operations as well. They brought in guys like Scott Booker who weren't playing to be the secondary coach. Um, They were an assistant, much like you see at the top programs like Alabama. Um, And he's moved into the the secondary role, um, you know, after all the unfortunate events this summer. So um, I really like Mike Riley. I I think he gets it from a culture standpoint. I think he relates to players incredibly well. He's uh, uncharacteristically hip um, and kind of gets it. I don't know if that's him or guys like Todd McShane that really help him – brushed up on his edges, but I, I think he deserves another two years. If this season goes south, I, I would change that to one year, but I think he deserves four years to get his players and system in place. He's still playing with a, a couple of square pegs that he's trying to fit in the round holes, if you ask me. Um, so I think he deserves that time, but there's not much time um, at the end of this. So um, he's got, he's got this season to turn around. Hopefully he can have a good second half of the season, but You've got some tough games on the schedule. You've got Ohio State, Wisconsin. Um, you've got Penn State as well. So none of those are going to be easy outs for Mike Riley at, from this point forward. Well, let's talk about Ruggers. Uh, you know, opponent next week. John, why should we worry about Ruggers next week? Well, a week ago, I wouldn't have said we had to worry about Ruggers. <laughs> um, but, we're, but we're at where we're at. So. Um, I think that there's a, a little bit of uh, mystery in their offense with the, uh, the two quarterback system. That's hard to plan for that. They've got Jonathan and Lewis um, as a quarterback rushed for four touchdowns and passed for another last week. Um, I think they went 65 and 0, but it was against an FCS school. So I don't put too much stock into that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's a battle of the bottoms at this point. Um, it's an opportunity for the offense to get back on track. It's a, it's another opportunity for the defense to take another step forward. Um, and show that they're starting to grasp and understand the system. It's going to be a tough battle as well for the Huskers. They've got players out all, all over the place. Uh, David Canevel at right tackle, Matt Farniak at right tackle, Trey Bryant um, doesn't look like he's going to play. Um, you've got Josh Kalou still out. I don't think that's as big of a miss as we think it is. Um, I think the safety position is very deep right now uh, with the Williams and uh, the Reed brothers back there. Um, you've also got Marcus Newby who looks out for an extended period of time at this point with his hamstring. Um, I know some folks aren't thrilled with him in pass protection, but I think he was the best, um, between him and Luke Gifford, especially with Gifford kind of playing a lot more at the cat linebacker position, uh, over the last two games to kind of fill in that, uh, those lapses that we saw with Cedric King and Dyshawn Neal. So, um, it's a toss up to me. I think Nebraska is what a 14 point favorite. Um, or so I know the lines moved a lot today, or at least the money line did at the end of the day. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I just, I think Nebraska has got to regroup. They've got to come out strong and they've got to swing for the fences here and, 
and probably grind out uh, a tough fought win in Memorial Stadium. Derek, what do you have on Rutgers? You know, I, I don't know if Rutgers scares me as much as Nebraska scares me. The inconsistencies between Nebraska, Nebraska's inconsistencies are play by play. Like, we can look really good on a play, and then we can look just like the worst team in the country on a play. Rutgers is inconsistent as well, but they're game by game. I mean, like, they looked really well against Washington. I mean, yeah, they lost 30-14, to 14, but, I mean, they looked really good in that game for playing a top 15 team. And then you have Eastern Michigan, where they laid a big old turd. And then they go on and play Morgan State and win 65 to nothing. Now, I, I, I get what you're saying too, John. Like, Morgan State has not scored a point yet this year in three games. So, I, I mean, they're, they're pretty lowly. I, so, I get what you're saying there too. But they're, they were at least consistent against a bad team, and we haven't done that yet. So, I think that scares me more than anything. Tyler. Yeah, you know, John, you mentioned the two quarterback system. I think that's the thing that scares me the most about Rutgers. You know, we, we have not seen this defense really having to go against a true mobile quarterback yet. Um, I liked our personnel group against a mobile quarterback this year, but it's still untested at this point. I mean, but Derek, Derek, you took the words out of my mouth. The, the concern with me is, is what what is our team? You know, are we consistent enough to play a game? And, and last week I, I talked about Northern Illinois. I said the only thing that concerns me about Northern Illinois was us. And that's my stance for Rutgers. I believe we are a more talented team than Rutgers. I believe that we should win this game. But I have not seen a consistent team. I don't know what our team is yet. And it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think Rutgers is coming at the best time possible because I believed if we would play to an Ohio State this week or a Wisconsin this week with where our confidence, confidence is and where the state of our program is, we could lose and that could be an avalanche effect. I think you, know, you get Rutgers in and hopefully a safe game that we can come out and play, even if it is a tougher game than people think, um, and at least get a W on the board to get a little bit of confidence going later in the season. Hey, John, uh, we're about to make some picks. You got time to stay for some picks? Yep, let's do it. All right, Derek, uh, give us a tally on how we did last week. Well, Justin, you and I did a little bit better, Tyler. I, I, you just keep picking the way you're doing so we can kick your ass. I don't know. We both went four and two. Tyler went three and three overall. Me and you are twelve and eight, and Tyler is ten and ten. Making a comeback. Making a comeback this week. Yeah, we didn't even pick Alabama last week. All right, let's get it off. John, since you're the guest, you get to go first. First game, we got uh, UCF at Maryland. I'm gonna pick the Terps. I think they've done a good job the last two years turning things around. And I think they're gonna take this one. Derek. You're right. Good pick. You know, you, Central Florida hasn't played in almost three weeks. The last game was August 31st. You have to assume there's going to be some rust coming out of that game from them. Maryland has really been turning it on pretty well lately. They run the ball so well. And I just don't know if they're, if uh, Central Florida's defense could stop their running game. Tyler? Uh, not so fast, my friends. Uh, <laughs> no, I, Derek, I disagree. I think Scott Frost, uh, takes those three weeks off and gets UCF looking good. Um, I like UCF quarterback McKenzie Mil uh, Milton. He played really well that one game and 
threw for 340 yards to hit 13 wide receivers in a 61-point game. I like UCF to pull the upset. I was really impressed with Maryland, what they did to Texas. Anytime you beat Texas, you know, you, I'm jumping on your bandwagon. And so with this, you know, of course, I want to root for uh, Scott Frost, but I got Maryland in this game. I think Maryland, they're, they're a pretty good team, I think. Uh, all right, John, we got TCU at Oklahoma State. Uh, I'm going to take the, uh, the Horn Frogs down at TCU. I don't know how they do it or whatever that is, but the little hand gesture. So uh, let's take TCU <laughs> over the, uh, the high-powered Oklahoma State offense. Wow. Derek. Holy cow, I thought I'd be the only one picking TCU. I, I, I do think TCU has a little bit better of a defense. They have pretty equal offense, I think, I, but I think uh, TCU's defense is a little bit better, so they'll win. Tyler? Uh, you know, TCU was actually my pick to win the Big 12 going in the year. I like TCU, but not in this game. Mason Rudolph is in the zone. He's playing at home. I, I like Oklahoma State. Yeah, you know, mullet man, he doesn't get nearly the credit. He still doesn't get any respect, and he's mowing people down. I like Oklahoma State big in this game. Uh, here we go. This is a very entertaining game for me anyway. Michigan at Purdue. John. I'm just going to take Michigan because I love that uh, Jim Harbaugh likes to have sleepovers and climb trees with recruits. <laughs> Terrible reason. Derek. <laughs> and he drinks milk with steak. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really wanted to pick Purdue in this game. It's at Purdue, but I just, I just don't think they can pull it off. Michigan's defense is just too – it's still too strong. Even though they have lack of uh, returning starters, it's just strong. I think they'll Tyler. shut him down just a little bit. Tyler. This was a really tough game. I mean, one of the games that the difference maker last week is I picked Missouri over Purdue, and Purdue was impressive. They held Missouri to three points, and I actually like that Missouri offense. Um, I, I don't love Michigan quarterback play, and their offense was less than impressive against Air Force, but I, I'm not at the point in the college football season to think that Purdue can beat Michigan. I, I think Michigan wins the game. Hey, I'm, I'm kind of on the – Purdue bandwagon just a little bit uh, with Michigan's lack of offense and Purdue's obvious. They do have some offense. I think Purdue is going to make this a little interesting. And I think, uh, I, I don't think Michigan covers at all. Uh, I think Purdue keeps it close, but I, God damn it. I'm going to take uh, Michigan in this one. <laughs> God damn it. The beaver coward. Oh, coward. I want to take Purdue. I, I really, I really did. Uh, Mississippi state at Georgia, John. Ooh, uh, I'm going to take Georgia. I think they, uh, they had a hard-fought win in week two against Notre Dame, and uh, I think they're ripe for another win here. Derek? You know, I have to look at who they've played. Georgia played Notre Dame, who I'm still not convinced is very good, and won by one point. Mississippi State played LSU and destroyed them by 31 points. I think Mississippi State is going to win this game, and I think they'll win pretty big. Tyler? Derek, disagree with you there. I, I think that was more of how bad LSU is than how good Mississippi State. Um, you know, Mississippi State, I don't think they're the team everyone thinks they are. Um, if they win, it's going to be because of Nick Fitzgerald, who's getting a lot of hype and all of a sudden coming on really strong. But I, I'm not sold. I wasn't sold on them going in the year, and I wasn't sold on LSU. I don't think that win means as much. I think the Bulldogs in Georgia win this game. I bet on Mississippi State last weekend. Wow. 
Big winner. I think they're going to be a big winner this week. Take Mississippi State. Notre Dame at Michigan State. Man, what a tough matchup. I don't think either of these teams are where they were three years ago. Uh, I'm going to take uh, – I'm just going to go Big Ten and, and uh, vote on the Spartans here. Michigan State with the win by seven. Derek. <laughs> wow. You took the words right out of my mouth. I kind of went Big Ten on this one too. I, I don't think Notre Dame is as good as what they were projected to be. I, Michigan State obviously took a huge step back last year. They're showing to be a little bit better this year. But I believe they beat Notre Dame last year at South Bend, didn't they? So yes. I think they'll do it again this year. I just, I'm not, I don't, I'm not convinced on Notre Dame yet. Tyler, I'm not convinced on either of these two teams, but yet this could be <laughs> one of the best games of the weekend. Uh, I think these teams are equally good. Uh, I think it could be a really back and forth close game. I, I'd like the Irish to win. I think they have a little bit better rushing attack. They've averaged over 330 yards a game. I, I just. I think they get a little bit of revenge and they win and eat Lansing this weekend. I don't even know how this game got selected as one of our top games to pick. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> Michigan State just because I don't like Notre Dame. And finally, for the big enchilada, we got uh, Nebraska at Ruggers. Uh, we got score prediction time here. Uh, John. Man. I don't typically bet on Nebraska football, so I'm not going to talk about the uh, the spread here. I think this is a, a redemption game against the weak Rutgers for Nebraska, um, but I don't think it's a pretty one. I'm going to call it 34-13. 34-13, nice. Derek? Well, Nebraska's 0-1 in redemption games, so I'm definitely not putting any stock into that. I have Nebraska winning, but I have it very close. I have it 28-24. Tyler? I don't know if my heart could take it. Um, yeah, I really don't. Uh, I, I, I like Nebraska. I think I think we figure out enough. I think your defense maybe even puts up a touchdown this week. I, I like where the black shirts are heading. Um, I, I think we win, and I like where John's head's at. I have it 31-14. I... I'm not impressed with what Nebraska's put out so far. Their product has stunk. Uh, I have us winning against Ruggers, but I have us at a 27 to 20. Kills me to say that. So, mark it down. Hey, John, uh, do you got any final thoughts for us? No, man, I appreciate you all having me. Uh, check us out over at HuskerHype.com if you want to see any of our commentary. And uh, make sure you keep tuning in to the Husker Cuscast. Hey, throw out, throw out your uh, Twitter handle. Uh, it's at John Swedland. So that's J-O-H-N-S-W-E-D-L-U-N-D on Twitter. Or you can follow us at Husker Hype on Twitter as well. Yes, absolutely. Check it out. It's great stuff. We appreciate it, John. Fun times. As far as the Husker Cuzcast goes, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Husker Cuzcast. You can, you can catch all of our episodes on Podbean and on iTunes. On behalf of Derek and Tyler, we want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday to give our thoughts on the Ruggers game and preview the Illinois game. And as always, go Big Red! Go Big Red! We say bye-bye so long, see you later, take it easy, be cool, hang loose. 